What is the future for cities? Do you want to learn more about them? Do you want to know how others think about them? Do you want to be part of the conversation? That this is the right place. Welcome to What is the Future for Cities podcast. Today, I will interview Dr. Eva Karesti, doctor, teacher, and forensic medical expert, among others. We will talk about her vision for the future of cities, urban services, holistic thinking, expanded disability meaning, and many more. So let's start with a proper introduction. Dr. Eva Karesti graduated from Semmelweis University with forensic medicine and insurance medicine, and from Ötvös-Lorend University of Budapest with administrative law specializations. She spent time in the US and various European countries in short-term fellowships. Eva teaches forensic medicine and insurance medicine, health law, patients' rights, and public administration to graduate and postgraduate students in the Hungarian and English language programs at the medical and law faculties. She was the head of the two-year postgraduate license program for medical professions in law, and she was awarded the Best Teacher of the Course Award by the students several times. Eva participated in the preparations for the European Union Accession of Hungary in the Hungarian Ministry, and she represented Hungary in the High-Level Committee for Health and the Governmental Committee of the European Social Charter. Eva also supervised and participated in the legislation of legal tools in health, such as the Health Act of Hungary. And with that, Eva, welcome to the podcast. I highly appreciate your time. Can we start with the question, what does the future of cities mean to you? Hello. Yes, let's start with that. <laughs> I was born in a big city. I'm actually now living in a much smaller city. So it's a question that what does it mean to be, to live, to work in a city at all? basic difference and I think that from the point of the future that's an elementary question whether you are in a community or not and I think that in the future it uh, should be emphasized or it should be a goal to set up smaller sub-communities in the cities to have a human circumstance around the people who live there, to know each other, to communicate with each other, to set small NGOs or anything else for themselves and for the surrounding areas, which is now not so strong. So 30 years ago, the typical American way of life in the suburb areas of the cities with house ladies. And that was a feeling of a community, not the whole one, but the kids, those who were at home with the children. But knowing this small city where I, smaller city where I live now, I could join to local initiatives and those things which make it much better for the everyday life. In the big city, you may have these organizations or things, but you have to look for it hard. You have to go after the things. It's much more a cognitive function and emotional. And I think that in the future, it's very, very important that uh, the big cities shouldn't uh, overgrow these individual emotional feelings of the people who live there. That's one point. The other is that in healthcare, we have so-called progressivity, that on the first step, you reach only their basic services and there are hard limitations of them. 
tough ceilings of the possible reachable services. And the small city is the first step when you have a range of services, which is more than the basics. I think that it should be a goal also that even in the small cities to set up as much as possible definite services to people. So those who can't or don't want to go on bigger distances who don't want to, who don't have time to go there, who have uh, problems to go there, to reach as close as possible a good level of services. I mean, if it needs equipment, if it needs uh, any other things. One point in it, and we had lessons in the COVID-19 from this, what to do with this digitalization and digitalized services, uh, which you can offer from far in which you use the audiovisual possibilities. Naturally, around me, I see a lot of uh, very low-level services in this sense, in which there's not standardization of the quality, not standardization of the content of these methods or tools. And I think that in the very short future, it would be a very good thing to develop or improve these services, but parallelly with the best practice, best protocol standardization to have a quality service in this digitization. We also learned from the COVID that it's possible to work from home office. And I think that it's a huge danger for the cities and the life of the people. They're even more isolated and closed at home. And a lot of community rooms, community places are closed because it's not needed. People may remain at home. We don't need the big offices or office buildings in which at least 1,000 workers meet each other each day in the restaurant and uh, different uh, community rooms of the building, at the front of the building, which means these people don't have a kind of communication out of the family and out of the direct contacts in the workplace. So they know only their bosses and the subordinate people, nobody else, because there's no need to know more people. I think that psychologically it's a very bad direction. So I think that the cities should improve that functions of the cities in which uh, these free, uncontrolled, but safe daily contact can be maintained, which is also a motivation for the people. I mean that if you go into your workplace, then you dress better, you do your makeup, and so on, and at home, you are something else, which is actually not a good direction. So one point for the future. The other is that there is a huge contradiction now because of the environmental problems. So one part of the cities, one I don't know whether half or not of the population in cities want to use the industrial city with the cars, the electricity. So all that stuff, which was the improvement and development of technology in the last few decades, while the others, even in the city, they want to go back to the green solutions. No, it's a challenge in the cities. So as you see the statistics of the traffic accident, if you see these new problematic things which were raised, 
a lot of them are originated in this contradiction that from one side it's too hard and too dangerous situation, but if two cars are crashing, it's less dangerous than a bicycle and a car. And in the development of the cities, it's not enough to say that we need broader ways or roads and one more line for the bicycles. It's not enough. Conceptually, you have to figure out what you want to do with the whole things. Parallelly with this, there are a lot of very, very good initiatives, but we see these uh, heat waves, we see that people spend very, very long time while going into the workplace and others. So they spend a lot of time out of their home and out of their workplace. In between, they are in between in the city. So that possibility is that uh, community rooms where you can have climatization and you just cool down in the heat waves to have public drinking water possibilities. Also for the dogs, so it's not only at the personal needs. So to have that kind of familiar environment which helps to survive the way of life in cities. It isn't a problem in a small city. Traditionally, they have these places. And it's not a problem because they don't spend so much time on the way. But in the big cities, where huge territories working without these personal services, or you can only buy them, not appreciated as a need of few, it's just a business to offer. I think that's not a good way. It's not a good way from the point of the tourists and not a good way from the point of the population there, inhabitants there, because it's also a limitation for the people. From the social care and the health care, which is my favorite, somehow uh, those institutes which may accept people should be closer to the family. In the last few decades, there were services which went into the home of the client. And if it was impossible to maintain the home services, they moved into an institute. Generally, these institutes were far from the family, far from the friends. In some countries, in some Hungary, there are enough institutes now. But I think that the next step is going a bit back into the former environment, like with those ones who live with disabilities or things like that and don't like the huge institutions for them. We want to have these small community family houses with maximum 10, 15 inhabitants of a problem. The same system should be consequently developed also in the other institutional care of people who are aged, who are not disabled, but have problems in maintenance of themselves. Could you please give us some examples? What do you mean by urban services? Just to understand what you mean, what services are needed closer to home? First of all, the services, which is not a daily service, you need only a physiotherapy twice a week, not more. But it's impossible to have it at home. You have to have a service center which offers this. In the huge cities, it's more or less available if anybody can take you there. In small cities, there's no access of people for this. It can be sometimes much lighter because the physiotherapy is a kind of specialized professional service. But when 
you just old enough not to be able to do your hair and it's needed a hairdresser or just the hair washing, not more, which is, uh, as I told, which is not a hairdresser's professional freezer competition work, but, but very small one. In the morning, I wash my hair and I do this, or there's the same with the pedicure, manicure. Not to have this very colorful, magical nails, but just to have a normally cared male. These things should be closer to the people, available for the people, knowing that it's a permanent service which is not organized by the logic of the business. It's a community service somehow, that, for example, these ones. And it's generally up to the local governments, and I do know a lot of good examples when um, they uh, collect only some age people to have some training or those services. They are shy to go there to pay for it. They don't want to be mixed up with uh, teenagers and so on and so on and so on. So locally, we have to find that uh, special population with their needs, but it may be also a library a small local library in which uh, they don't have to go into that huge digitalized, enormous, modern technical library, but to have books in their hands and help from the librarist. Because I can't do it. I can't choose it. I can't reach it on shelves and so on and so on. So which is a much personal, but it's much more than a very small place because it's specifically urban service to have these things. What does a city mean to you? Because you are talking about very different experiences regarding the size of the settlement. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's always there are choices. There are choices in the places where I can buy my things of different kinds and different measure of shops, choices in services. The urban life, when uh, we have concrete or black covered roads and not only the traditional ones, when we have public transport, I think that in the city, the public transport, it's an elementary thing that we need. Naturally, there is a kind of way of living that there are blocks of houses and high houses, not only the small village-type houses, which means that in the village-type houses, you have your own green around you, while in the cities, it's a community service that there are parks in between for people who are living in the blocks of houses. City means for me that... uh, they help not to be isolated if you don't move well or things like this. And it means there is a few cultural options. You can go to cinema, you can go to theater, you can go to different cultural events, and it's organized, it's coming to you, and it's not only one event per year in the villages. So it's not only one event per year, but there is a relatively continuous way to spend your time in a high culture or low culture environment. There are restaurants, not only this McDonald's and Burger King and others, but but also restaurants where you can have a normal environment to eat out, things like this. 
in the Hungarian system, you know, a few years ago, we used the system of scoring of the cities. And you have to reach a given score to get the title that you are a town and not a village anymore. Now, as I see, nobody uses it. But these basic services were in. So the public transport, there is a public transport. There's a sewage system, drinking water system, central heating, blocks of houses. And so there were objective things, which sound, uh, for the first sight, it sounds strange. But yes, somehow the urbanization means this, that I don't have to go out to the well to take the water, that I have to just turn on the gas and I have the heating and I don't have to take the cool from the storage place to my stuff so that's these are small things but for the survivor of an aged person a person with a lot of work in a workplace there's a point in the background like decades ago when the kitchen machines have appeared and they said that okay you don't have to do everything on your own because we have microwave we have half-made things and we have the frozen things and you spare the time of the preparations so the city is a place to spare your time for other things like your work or your leisure time or your family and the family life changed. So I get the feeling that the city itself is a place to work, connect with um, colleagues and friends and family, utilize the urban services. And you feel that the future of cities need to pay more attention to the connectivity side, to keep the human connections alive for people to be healthy. Yes, yes, practically yes. It's not only a non-personal service place, but it's a community place in this sense. Then what are the three biggest fears or concerns regarding the future of cities for you? I think that the biggest fear is the isolation of people. The second is, I think, that the cities easily make a social gap in between the inhabitants. So the... Rich ones live in specific ghettos of the cities, and the others live in other ghettos of the cities. So that the, the city is not a place as a whole, but it's a collection of different ghettos. And also the services, places are mirroring these different things. And I think that it's a big fear that this ghetto life is transcend. Some politicians like to make it like this when they emphasize the no-go zones and other stupidities. So they just set up this uh, concept that there are good places and bad places and we are entitled to use the good places or the others are entitled to use the bad places. I think that's a fear for the cities. The other is that because a lot of people want to have a more humanistic environment, they... uh, move for these sleeping areas or sleeping cities, the mm-hmm. skirt areas of the cities. And it's this functioning that I go there to sleep and go back to the work, it's too divided. For example, as a medical doctor, I think that being a doctor, it's a way of life and I can't divide it in uh, work and non-work. 
yes, my mind is on my professional work also when I on holidays or working on other projects or issues. And when I'm a medical doctor, I'm also involved in my personal things. So this division, when um, also people just close some family members from their life because they live in the skirt areas and spend their life there. And they are the bigger, strong ones. They live a different life in a different place. It's not good. It's, I think that it appears to both sides that the way of living is dividing so strongly. The other is the ghetto areas and the ghetto type of ghettoing. Interesting that your fear is isolation of people, while the city for you also means the combination and connection for people. Why did this contradiction occur? Because I see both. When I'm here in the smaller city, I experience these good things when we are getting together much easier and find those people whom I never could know without this environment. On the other side, even here, I uh, experienced that I wasn't born here, so there is an exclusion and some answers, and it's much easier in a big city. So in Budapest, where you work at a law school and you have a program in the other campus of the university, you have to travel almost an hour. If you are by public transport, by car it's more. And then you just alone in the car. So the contradiction is existing on a daily level that it's not easy to find your mid-size environment, that you know not only your direct contact and you are not alone in a big one, but in between there's a mid-size, which is a communication. It also depends on the traditions in the cities. So when I was moving here, I was surprised that people are living in a relatively big block of houses and nobody says hello when meet in the gate or in the courtyard. I would say so because we are not friends. In Budapest, even though it's a big city and uh, this uh, individualization of the people and non-humanistic and so and so and so, it's still very natural that if uh, in the staircase of our block of house we meet with an absolutely foreigner, we say hello. So it depends also on traditions, but it's a much better feeling. So those who don't say hello, they are suspicious. Because they don't know this informal rule. They are not in the community. So, you know, it's another meaning of this behavior. And it's also the part of the game that there are these metacommunications in the local communities. And um, that's why this contradiction is very important. It says the prejudices if it doesn't work. If you, you think that there's a gacha and I don't go there and I if try to go there or things like this. So at the same time, it's there. And because of this technological development I mentioned to you, it's much easier to use the telephone for the email and community media surfaces. So somebody told the story that uh, their children started the school during the COVID with this mm -hmm. uh, digitalized education. And their children were sitting facing each other in a restaurant, personally, a few weeks ago, and they were communicating through the messenger. 
They didn't want to see each other, to hear each other personally. They didn't want to disturb the others around. What is the ideal size for you, for a city, to have the bigger community, the smaller community and your immediate contacts? I think it's very important to strengthen the local governments and not only by regulatory measures, but with, uh, let's say, sociological measures and to give or to lend them money to organize these things which can help. Let me give you an example which I experienced in the United States 26 years ago. That time I lived in a place of Cleveland, a district of Cleveland in which relatively rich people, mid-level people, lived in nice houses and uh, cut the loan and so as it is in the movies. And nearby this place, a few streets over, there was a relatively poor black neighborhood. And there the two local governments organized at the Halloween, but the poor black children, with the help of their teachers, were coming and visiting us for the chicken treat. Because it was sure that they got, and it was organized, and all these rich, severe people with good jobs and large offices and others, they changed, they took these funny dresses, and they waited for the children and made party there, because it's a good idea, it's a good party. And it was nothing else but a local government organization. The same place, the local community, the street streets together, organized twice a year block parties. When just two, three streets who live around each other, they made a party. And one went house by house that what kind of salads, what kind of grilled meats, what would be happening there. And for this party, the local government sent a fireman's car to show to the children what is like this with the fireman. The same with the police car. They offered to have drawings on the road and they promised to do the cleaning after the block party. It was very natural that that weekend we wanted to do, okay, let's organize this. We organized the traffic, we organized that. Things like this. So it was a common thing, but it wasn't an official local mm-hmm. governmental event. So I think that it was let to do, and that was enough. That was enough. So I think that the strengthening the local governments means that they know their local needs. They know the people there. They can much better manage the things there. Mm-hmm. They understand that the people know the problems, the social problems, anything. And then it's much more personal, much more well-organized, these events or services or anything else. Naturally, there are those which must be somehow centralized, like these disability issues. So how to collect the people with disabilities and take them to their workplace with special transport. Not the small local government's uh, option. It's the possibility and the task, I think, and the responsibility of the bigger community to organize uh, those people. But to collect that who is in need who is in need in this sense, who is in need in that sense. It's also up to the local authorities or mm-hmm. services. 
So this progressivity, how to build up the small local community up to the centralized functions on which you can offer the highest level services, the most complicated services, the transplantations and lung transplantations of these very complicated and expensive and high level services. Then what are the three biggest opportunities regarding the future of cities for you? I think that from my point as a user of the city, as a public transport, to reach everything without time-wasting and money-wasting challenges, to reach the things without that kind of challenges that no parking lots, no money for the parking because it's so expensive, but the public transport is uncomfortable, the stops, the organization and so on, so it's not convenient enough. That would be, I think, one of the most important and the biggest step forward. Even so, in many, many European countries, there's a relatively good public transport, but the relatively good is not enough anymore. I think the other is that the early and effective reactions on the unawaited events, also on either on the community level or on the individual level. Now, I heard a story. A colleague of mine has her father absolutely unweightedly. The father got into a hospital because of alcohol abuse. It wasn't a big problem for him, but no, after the death of the mother, it was a little problematic, but it was very, very sudden that it happened. It was okay. He got into the hospital. Next day, he was sent home, but they didn't recognize that during this time in the last few months, there's a very severe dementia of the father. And because of dementia, he was just wandering away and he was missing. The family started to look for, called the police. The three children live in three different cities of Hungary, and it's different from that city where father is living now. In three days, they found him. He got back into a hospital, and they don't take him in because there's no physical problem. But no, the family actually, from one way to the other, Mm -hmm. can't manage what to do with him. He can't live alone anymore. He can't manage his life anymore. But he is not under guardianship because they can start the guardianship uh, procedure just now. Officially, he's not a psychiatric patient yet, so it's no cause to keep him in psychiatry. I thought there's not enough psychiatry workplaces there. So it looks like no solution for the first sight. So now we try to manage to friends that please take him there only for three days. And then we try to find another psychiatric ward to get him a bit closer to one of the family members. And then we start immediately. Please make a psychiatric opinion, which with we start the guardianship. And then it will be okay because he gets officially into the social system. But no, it's unsolved to do it in a few days officially in Hungary. It needs a few weeks or months. And if you don't have anybody to offer a 24-hour care for the patient, what to do with you? And no, he doesn't know who is he, where he's living now. So it's really problematic. So, for example, I think that that would be a big opportunity to see the cities to be a flexible 
early reaction system, these temporary services to people, because in the big majority of the cities, the permanent services, these and these kind of specialized institutions, and that's more or less done. It depends on the social sensitivity of their governments, whether they have enough or not, whether they're expensive or not, but they have, and there are the civil movements, the churches are there. But these temporary services are missing in a lot of cases. That would be a huge opportunity. And it's also true when it's not a kind of this health problem, but uh, there is any kind of fire or explosion somewhere and you need uh, temporary housing for people, mm-hmm. the temporary housing for better child and better family members when mm-hmm. they escape from home, the temporary services when uh, there is problem with the services, heating or water or anything else and you have to move people not one but a few hundred or so so it is good and early reaction and recognizing these problems and helping through the people i think that that's a potential service from side of the cities and it's needed because in the big cities every day there is something which needs an early reaction It wasn't a joke, but uh, that was a funny thing that in the former Soviet Union, there was a governmental level ministry called the Ministry of Rare and Extraordinary Events. But it was a permanent ministry because in that country, in that huge territory, every day they had difference, not one, rare and extraordinary. <laughs> Maybe that on that place it was extremely rare, but on the territory of the Soviet Union, it happened every day. So I think that in the big cities, that's a kind of uh, challenge and we have to rethink what kind of uh, reactions are needed. It may be a flood, but maybe also a heat wave. Not more, only a heat wave when, when there are a number of people who don't have living conditions in which it's survivable. They don't have that kind of equipment or defense instruments or tools or things like this. But it can be so kind of individual things like I mentioned to you, for which you have to have capacities to manage. The third, because you asked the opportunity, the third is the waste, the waste management of the cities. You mentioned disability in the urban system. What is disability? It's my research topic. So we started in three days. I explained it. No. So... Disability on one side is the medical disability, which is the let's name more or less well-known uh, when you have a physical condition for which you can't use the, the measures, the services as easily or normally as the big majority of the people. You are not able to move well, you don't hear well, so you don't understand the loudspeakers and the public information. Maybe you have visual problems and you can't use that services for which it's needed vision and all the services need your vision. Or you are mentally ill and that's why your up perception, your understanding is not good enough or not quick enough to understand everything which is happening with you and how to manage the situations. That's the original definition. But you know that there are people who in the actual situation behave like a disabled. 
first of all, these are the aged who don't have a so severe visual problem, but they have visual problem. They don't have so severe hearing problem, but they don't hear well. They are not um, handicapped in sense of the handicapped uh, when they move, but they are slower, they have pains, they have to catch things. For example, these people are very unstable when using the moving walk pass or these electric it makes the life easier, but because they are instable, they can't use it. That's why it's needed to have a traditional escalator for them or some help for them, or I don't know. The aged people is a category. Those who are, and now it's a problem, it's a health problem all over the world, the overweight people, which we don't think that it's a disability, but being really overweight means that your heart, your breathing, and your move and everything is absolutely problematic and you can't use the system and you must buy two places and airplanes and two seats I mean and other in the movie theater but you can't uh, move the handle so it's an absolutely obstacle to use the services next group who like uh, disabled is people with small children when uh, they use the prims with one or two children it's quite impossible to manage your life but the same with those people who travel and they have luggage that's the same so in those cities where there are a lot of tourists and they can be very problematic for the homelanders when you just try to jump them over in the public transport. So these are the people with special needs. It's special need whether in a public transport there is a place for this luggage or not. It's a question whether you can get on easily on these transport places or not. It's a question whether the placement, the seats are safe enough for the children or not. Whether there are parallel signs and warnings for the hearing, for the vision. So to help the understanding, whether the noise in the background I hate the noise in the background, mm -hmm. in the shops and everywhere, that there is a loud music and you can't understand the people who speak to you. It's disturbing. For an aged people, because of the hearing loss they have, it's a special thing. It's even more disturbing. Mm -hmm. So in some places, yes, it sounds like a very nice thing. No, it's disturbing thoughts and developments on this would be much comfortable also for those who have special needs and that's why disability is the origin of these problems but if we think of it in a broader sense this is the special needs and there are many many people with special needs so that my example in my health profession is that there are the rare diseases which are so rare that only one case in um, 300,000 of births, so it's really not a mess in this sense. But at all in Hungary, there are 800,000 living with rare disease. So they are at all, it's a big mess. It's a well-seen minority in the population. So this special need is not an absolutely individual mm. thing, but there are lots of people with these things. That's the same in the 
restaurants and the public places where you eat, the gluten-free, lactose-free, diabetic, and other allergies. No, that regulations for the food safety are good enough, at least in Europe, because there are a lot of compulsory signing and uh, labeling what kind of allergens, what kind of things in it. But okay, you put it that this and this and these are the allergens, but you don't have anything else. So I remain hungry. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's another function of the city is that in a city, in a bigger city, the gluten-free restaurants, the everything-free restaurants are also accepted and there is a number of clients who are able to maintain it also on a business space. It depends on the countries and I think that in a lot of countries developing, but not everywhere. I was surprised in the last few days when I was in Interpol training and in the Interpol training center in Budapest. A few days before the program, they asked me what kind of special dietary needs I have and they gave me that kind of meal. I was positively surprised in this sense that no, they also started to do this. I would love to ask you about the special training because I know that that was really interesting, but I'm conscious of the time. I want to honor your that, morning. That only two sentences on it. Yeah? In our program, we are the team for the Interpol whose responsibility the disaster victim identification. And this disaster means the natural disasters, floods and everything, and means also the terrorist attacks. These are the new challenges, I think, where the cities are always very good goals for these bad guys, because at the same time, there are many, many people um, in those iconic places like the marketplaces and tourist centers. There are a lot of people who don't live there, so it's even harder to find out who is who, whether it's a national or another nationality, and the people who are there they are just visiting there so there is not background family background and others so these are very good goals for uh, terrorists and that's another point how to develop or or safety and security in the cities without that discomforting feeling that I'm permanently checked by the cameras and the cameras even there in the public toilets and other places, which is very disturbing and discomforting. How to make it better, how to make it more safe or more secure. That's a big challenge also, which is, it's an urban problem. It's not a problem of the small villages. As a final question, what is your role in establishing the better future for our cities? I'm in a good position because I'm a member of this team. Not only this one, but uh, when uh, we try to make the house policy and house planning and the house system forming, this point of progressivity, what to do, how to do, how to make these individual closed services, how to combine the social and the health services, how to join to at least to define, recognize and define the needs of the people, to focus this disability in which the medical and social rehabilitation is the word how to develop the services. So I think that in the health and social care, there are professional wordings and concepts how to prove this, how to build it 
into a urban concept uh, that's a bit open because it depends on the urban leaders and the policymakers whether they want to integrate it or not. And while on one side in a Hungarian system, it's very, very strange that now the minister who is responsible for health, he is at the same time the minister of interior affairs and responsible for the police and the local government. But the point that he is responsible for the local government makes a chance to have some interrelations or trepass in between the two eras. So what is your role in establishing the future of cities? To plan it and to initiate it and to have ideas and put it into the box that please do it. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Eva, thank you so much for your time. I highly appreciate your answers. Do you have any closing comments or requests for the audience? As a researcher, I used to read the Australian articles and journals on my issues. From here, from this distance, I love it. And I love it basically because of this, that uh, there are huge distances in the country. People are living very, very far from each other. And that's why in my experience in the regulations and the organizational background, they try to make a balance in between that the people are not at home and it's a bad feeling for them when they must get into the services of the big cities and they compensate it in a very good way. How the state tries to guarantee that you are still in a safe community and mm -hmm. that's in the healthcare, in the patient's rights and others, it's a good thing. So I always very eager and enthusiastic to read how they make the solutions for these things. And if they have diabetic and lactose free things at the same time, <laughs> please come <that>. visit us. It's <laughs> the predator. Yeah, I will do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Eva, for your time. You're welcome. It was fascinating to hear from Eva about the need for urban service availability and better municipal power, not to mention her views on urban flexibility and planning for disabilities. You can find out more about Eva online. All the links are in the show notes. What was the most interesting part for you? What questions did arise regarding Eva's approach to the future of cities? What have you learned from this interview? Let me know on Twitter at WTF4Cities or on the website where the transcripts and show notes are available. Additionally, I will highly appreciate if you consider subscribing. I hope this was an interesting interview for you as well and thanks for tuning in. What is the future for cities podcast? 